Our mission, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We are continuing our series this morning uh, through the Ten Commandments. We've been calling this series, Thou Shalt the Ten Commandments. And so if you brought your Bibles, if you'd open to Exodus chapter 20, that's where we're going to be at today, a sermon that I'm calling Be Grateful. Um, so if you've been with us to this, these nine weeks leading up to this week, you probably know what we're going to talk about today. You know where we're at. And so, um, so this is where we're leading up to. And let me just, I can't help but think about the providence of God, right? Because here it is, smack dab, Christmas time. And what are we talking about? Coveting. Yes. I did not plan it, but man, God has a sense of humor, and I think he's hilarious. And so let me ask you a couple questions. We're going to play a little interactive game here. Okay, so I, I need some, some feedback. Okay, everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes. I see some of you are doing. Some are. I want you to dream about if you could have any vehicle, any car, any truck, what would it be? Don't answer. Keep your eyes closed, okay? Keep, we're going to keep doing this, okay? What if you could go on any vacation, anywhere, and do anything? Where would you go, and what would you do? One last question. Just dream about this. Think about this. If your midsection could look any way you wanted. <laughs> yep. Well, okay, you can open your eyes. Mine I could do wash on it. Yeah, just scrub, scrub in your plunge, but that's never going to happen. Well, hey, lip. Let me just congratulate you. You broke the 10th commandment. Yes. And somebody's thinking, Pastor John's making a sin. Really wasn't all that hard, okay? So <laughs> we're pretty good at it. We're good at this one, breaking it, if you will, whether somebody asked you to or not. And this is what God says about all of this that we just did here in the context of Exodus 20. Read verse 17. He says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor. Think about this. This just kind of blows me away when you really think about this in the context in which it was given to us. God said this to Israel immediately upon them being freed from slavery after they'd been slaves for four centuries. I mean, think about it. There was this, this series of miracles, the, these plagues, and God delivers his people out of the clutches of an evil pharaoh and then leads them through the wilderness, and there's this, the Red Sea parts, and then they draw, walk across on dry land, and then whammo, uh, the, Egyptians, uh, the Egyptians die. It's, it's amazing. And then God says, hey, I'm going to give you ten things, the last one being don't covet. Think about that because slaves covet all the time. They covet freedom, they, they covet fair treatment, and they, they covet because a lot of the times, that's all slaves have. And, and it is, it's amazing to me, it's kind of crazy when you think on the background of that, God says, hey, be grateful and don't covet. Here's what coveting is. Coveting is the, the ungodly, discontented desire. That's what it is. Coveting is, is envy, it's, it's greed, it's jealousy, it's this, this craving in your soul, this longing, this lust for someone or something that you don't have but yet you want. Do you think perhaps coveting is a big issue in our society today? Like, oh baby, oh yeah, oh yeah it is. I mean, do we need to talk about the day after Thanksgiving 
Do we really need to talk about that? After all, Thanksgiving is the day that our country is set aside, and this is the day we're really going to be thankful for all that God has given us. And we, we, we follow up that day with a day that we call Black Friday that will go, and some people will stand for hours in lines, all to fight and claw with our neighbor to get 30% off the latest gadget. Does that sound kind of crazy to you? Does me, at least. Well, here's something that we need to know, or at least I really want you to know. That the 10th commandment, this last one we read here, this issue of coveting, it's really different from all the other commandments. Let me give you three ways in which the 10th commandment is different from the other nine commandments. Here's here's number one. It's internal. It's internal and not external. See, up until this point, the Ten Commandments, for the most part, have dealt with the stuff out there. But the Tenth Commandment, it really deals with the stuff in here, doesn't it? It's not just external. It is internal. Because you can covet, and absolutely no one else will know that you're coveting, right? Because if you're murdering, if you're stealing, if you're, if you're committing adultery, those are outside. Those are outside in public. But if you're coveting, coveting is a personal sin. It's an internal sin. And so I want you to know that makes us very, very unique from all the other commandments. And it reveals to us that, that God not only sees your works, but God knows your heart as well. He knows your thoughts of your mind. He, he knows your desires. God knows your longings. He, he, he knows it. And guess what? God judges all of that. And here's the second way in which the 10th commandment is different from the other commandments. Number two, it shows a difference between sin and crime. It really does. Murder's a sin, right? Well, murder's a sin and a crime. Because you get arrested you can, for murder, you go to jail, and at the moment upon death, you'll go to hell too. But coveting is a sin, and yet it's not a crime. Okay? God calls coveting a sin. Mankind doesn't call coveting a sin. But I want you to know that God knows it's a sin. And it's a good thing that the coveting is not a crime because every time I walked into Shields up in Billings, they'd be locking me up and hauling me off, right? Me and every other guy in here. And I'm sure the girls too, but I, I don't know about you, I just go straight to the back of the store where all the stuff I love is, and I just break the 10th commandment all over the place. I really do. There is not a, a government on the earth that could pass a law that they would call the anti-coveting law. It just wouldn't work. They would ask, hey, are you guilty of coveting? And you'd say, yeah, I'm guilty of coveting. And they'd say, straight through jail. You, 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 you break the 10th commandment straight through jail. Some, some of you know what I'm going with that one. That's a funny joke. See, see Kathy, after, after the service, you don't get that one. Um, there isn't a government on the earth that can regulate that one, but there is a God in heaven that can, and he's going to judge us. And the Holy Spirit is helping believers to judge themselves. If you're a believer and there's this pit in your stomach that you covet and God's telling you, knock it off. And the truth is we are all guilty of coveting. And here's the third thing I want you to know how it's different from all the other commandments is that this last commandment is the root of all other sins. You see, God is not merely concerned with behavior. He's not. He's also concerned with your desires. Because the two go together, right? Jesus says it this way. Jesus says that a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. I remember years ago, my... my, grandparents had downsized from their big house they moved into a little house well the little house they had had an apple tree in the back 
and it grew apples that looked more like pears. Turns out there was a fungus inside the tree, and the whole tree was rotten. And the, the fruit looked pretty good, but if you cut it and you, you picked one off and cut it open, it was black inside. Like, we need to cut this tree down. This is a bad tree. It's bearing bad fruit. Well, that's how it is with us. Jesus' point in saying that, he's saying good desires lead to good behaviors and bad desires lead to bad behaviors. And so what happens is, if, if we're always dealing with behavior, we never get to the heart of the matter. And so many people, we're dealing with behavior modification and we never get to heart modification. That's religion. That's all these religions of the world. Religion teaches morality and it never gets to the heart of the issue. So many people, every day, they're just constantly dealing with behavior rather than the heart. If you want to be, behave, change behavior, well, first you need to change the heart. And let me tell you, the heart, our heart, your heart, my heart, it all begins and ends with Jesus. If you want to change the heart, you've got to get to Jesus the, when the Bible talks about the heart, it, it's not talking about a physical organ that's pumping blood through our body. It's, it's talking about the inner being of someone's, of ex, their existence. We use language like this. We say something like, well, let's get to the heart of the matter. We'll say something like, I love you with all my heart. We're not talking about the physical organ. We're talking about something else. Well, the Bible's doing the same thing. So here's the deal. If you deal with the heart problem, then you will deal with the behavior problem. And so if you want to deal with the coveting problem, if you, if you do that, if you deal with the coveting problem, it resolves a lot of problems because you're dealing with the heart. Because all of it, it all begins with coveting. These breaking the commandments, it begins with coveting. Let me show you kind of, let's review the Ten Commandments to be able to tell you, because you kind of see where I'm going with this. Because the first commandment, do you remember that? It's, there's only one God. So God is in authority. He is God. He is sovereign, and we are not. But when you covet his authority, when you, when you sin by seeking to be sovereign, that's, that, 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 that's sin. We're coveting. We're, we're coveting his position. We're coveting his authority. We're coveting his will. And we break the first commandment. And the second commandment is that you should only worship God. That, that means that we, we shouldn't worship anything or anyone other than God. Now, what happens is there reaches the point that, that, that we desire God's glory. All the glory is supposed to go to God, but then we want his glory. And so what happens is we want our name to be great. And we want people to know who we are. And we want people to be thankful for what we do. And we want people to fear us. We want people to honor us. We want people to rejoice in us. We want people to welcome us. We want people to, to respect us. And when we do any of that, we're guilty of breaking the second commandment, and it started with coveting. Jump down to number seven. The seventh commandment is we shall not commit adultery. Before adultery begins, coveting begins. Because if you never covet somebody other than your spouse, you'll never break the seventh commandment. Do you see the correlation, how these two go together? The way you end up to never commit adultery is to never covet so you must covet somebody's heart, somebody else's spouse in your heart first, and then you break the, the, the seventh commandment. Eighth commandment, don't steal. Well, where does stealing begin? Well, stealing begins with coveting. You think, I want it, but I can't have it, and I can't get it, so I'm going to go take it. That's stealing. 
Ninth commandment, don't lie to your neighbor. Well, lie often, we, we lie often because we, we covet something that somebody else has. And so if, if you're breaking the ninth commandment, it was preceded by breaking the tenth commandment. And really, this is true for all of the commandments. That, that first you break the tenth commandment and it leads to sin from there. So somebody would ask, well, why did God put, them, put that one last? If that's true, Pastor John, why did that come last? Because ultimately, it gets to the heart of the matter. You see, up until this point, if we're having a discussion, if we're talking about number one through nine, every one of us go, yeah, that's clearly a sin. Yeah, I get it. I'm lining up with you. I'm jiving with you, God. And then when you get to number 10, we go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm not so sure. I don't think that one's a sin, God. And God's letting you know the problem's with your heart. You know, through this, through this series, I've been telling you that, that God is a father. And he's given us these commandments because he loves us. And so when you read the, the Ten Commandments, we need to read them as a, as a positive and not a negative. But what so many of the non-Christians do is they read the Ten Commandments and, and they think of them as a list of morality that the Bible says that we're to keep. But I hope you see that they're a list of actions that if we keep them, it actually benefits us and God always wants the best for us. So I hope you see and I hope you come to know that when you break a law, it's not just breaking the law. You're breaking the Father's heart. You know, the same is true for us as parents. I know I tell my kids, hey, don't do that. You're going to get hurt. And then when they go ahead and disregard what I say and they do that, it breaks my heart as a father. Well, that's what happens with God. When we disregard His law, we break His heart. And so many of us, we don't have a, a fatherly view of God. So many people think of God in some other ways than of a father. But I think that as thinking of God as a father is the very, very best way to think of him. He's a father, and he's a father that gives us good gifts. And so what we often do is we look at him and we say, Hey, Dad, you should have given me more. I don't like this. I want something else. I want what you've given to them. And guess what? That breaks the father's heart. And our, our God, he is a father that is very generous he is a father that gives good gifts to his kids, but often we act like spoiled little brats. That's us. We get so much, and then we're just spoiled little brats wanting more and more and more, but yet he's a father that spoils his kids. But we shouldn't act like spoiled kids. Just because you're spoiled, that doesn't give you a, a right to act like spoiled kids. So many Christians today are like 40-year-old spoiled little brats just running around screaming, more, more, more. And then we go on to say, hey, get, hey, Dad, if you don't give me what I want, I'm going to withhold my love for you. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, we, we, we conveniently, what we do is we overlook the gifts that God has already given us and we scream for more. How many times have you asked God for something and he didn't give it to you? Don't answer that question. But we're so quick to, to push back and think, well, somehow God doesn't love me because I've asked for something, I've, I've wanted something, I'm pushing him, and he, he doesn't give it to me. But what we fail to realize, God's not punishing. God often is protecting. A great American theologian by the name of Garth Brooks once said, God's greatest gift is unanswered prayers, right? <laughs> well, it's not theologically true because God answered the prayer. He just said no, Right? I don't know about you, but I look back in my life experience and I think how many times I prayed for something. I'm like, please, God, please, I want this, I need this. And God said, no. 
God, if God said yes to everything I've ever prayed for, it looked like that scene from Bruce Almighty. You know the movie, Morgan Freeman plays a part of God, and, and Jim Carrey's playing a part of Bruce, and then he, God lets Bruce be God for a day, and then Bruce ends up saying yes to every prayer that's asked, and it is absolute chaos. That's what it would look like for us. Some of God's greatest answered prayers is when God said no. How many of you, in hindsight, you look back in your life and there's things that you really, really wanted? Maybe it was a job, maybe it was some person, maybe it was something and it never came. And now in hindsight, you look back, you're like, man, it was a good thing God said no to that one, right? I've wondered why I was in board six foot six, 330 pounds with a 4140 time. I can go on the NFL and I can lay weight to, to all these guys and I could be a first, first round Hall of Famer. Well, you know what? I think if God would have given me that, the end of my life would have looked something like Samson. My eyes would be gouged out and I'd be strapped to a grinding wheel. And so I'm so thankful God said, no, you're not getting that. But I want to give you some lessons, some lessons that we, I think we really, really do need to know about coveting. Here's the first lesson. Lesson number one, coveting hurts you. Did you know that? Coveting hurts you. We often think, no, it's not. It's my little toy, and I like to take it and play with it. And it's just my little precious. No, coveting hurts you. Read what Jesus says about this in Luke 12, verse 15. It says, and he said to them, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. This is what Jesus is saying, this desire for stuff. You need to set a guard on your heart like 24-7, 365. Jesus says one's life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. But you know what we think? This is what we think. We, you know, we think that's true for everybody else but me. Because I'd be okay with some more stuff. Oh, I'm the only one? Yeah, a bunch of liars breaking the ninth commandment. Anyways, that's what we think, don't we? But here's what... We, we think that we're the exception to the rules of Christ. We want something so bad. You ever wanted something so bad you could just taste it? You're like, oh, I want that thing. I want it. I want it. And then you finally get that thing, and you're like, oh, I thought it'd be better than that. Yeah, that's what we do. We do it all the time. So you know what? Jesus kind of knows what he's talking about. He really does. He's right. Jesus is able to look 2,000 years in the future, and he was, no, there's this, there, there's going to be this all-consuming, terrible religion called consumerism. Do you know consumerism is alive and well in our country and our society today? In fact, our society is built on consumerism. Consumerism is where your identity is based on your possessions. What you drive, that's who you are. You know, what you wear, that's who you are. What you eat, that's what you are. Where you live is what you are. What you and or your spouse look like, that's what you are, right? Where your kids go to school, that's who you are. Can we see that consumerism is a real problem in our society today? And it's all about worship. And what we're worshiping is not God, let me ask you this, have you ever spent money that you don't have to buy something you don't need to impress somebody that you don't really know or doesn't even like you, right? You've done it, I've done it, we've all done it. Well, that's consumerism, and guess what? It hurts you. 
And this desire to have has led, led all of social media to spy on you so that you can be marketed to more effectively to push the, the desire to buy that thing that you, that you think you need. It's called consumerism. How many times you pulled out your smartphone and you went to Google and you Googled something so you can get a price on it? And then you go to your social media feed and now every advertisement's about that thing, right? In fact, our cons- my computer's talking to each other. I go to a different website. I got my Bible search engine open and then little ads running on the side for that one thing. I, I search Sika Vest. You guys know what Sika Vest is. It's the Louis Vuitton of hunting gear. But anyways, and, and now all my feed along the sides are like Sika Vest, Sika Vest. And I'm like, oh, I want a Sika Vest so bad, right? I'm not the only one. We're all in this boat together. Did you, in our houses, they have us bugged today. You know, how many times you had a conversation in your kitchen about something, and then all of a sudden you go back to your social media feed, and it's, it's, it's on your feed again. Because Siri and or Alexa and or whatever other device, it's listening. And I'm in my kitchen. Siri, more sick of S. Tell me about sick of S. Anyways, <laughs> the, the world that we live in, people are coveting all the time, and we... We can have this ability now to meet this demand instantaneously. That's the economy we live in. Everything that you could ever want is now on display at a, at a fingertip swipe. And, and the, you can go to the store and you can look at it. And you can review it and you can read what other coveters have said about that thing before you ever buy it. And then you can order it and it's going to be at your doorstep in three to five business days. It's, ooh, it's amazing, Right? We'll go online and we'll spend hours after hours research and reading and and looking about those items forever we purchase this. And we are smack dab in the middle of the consumerism time of year, right? Christmas has been hijacked. It's been hijacked with this um, all-consuming religion of consumerism. Where we're spending hours worshiping the God of consumerism so we can can buy our loved ones that gift that's just going to change their life forever. That's us. Then after spending nine hours shopping online, you, you go to your little shopping cart in the lower right-hand corner of, of your phone, and then you click on it, and you go, how, how much am I about to spend? Like, whoa. But then you're like, hey, but I, I'm getting this 50% off, right? And if I don't spend $1,000, well, then I'm going to miss out on $1,000. So I'm really saving $1,000 by saving and buying all this stuff. No, no, you just spend $1,000. That's what happened there. And to all this, Jesus would say, One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, is it a sin to have a lot of possessions? Answer is no, it's not. Is it a sin to have a whole heck of a lot of possessions where you need a storage locker or a barn to store all your possessions? Answer is still no. It's not, that's okay too. Is it a sin to have a storage locker to hold all your stuff and to have a deep-seated desire for more and more and more stuff? Yes, there is a problem with that. You see, stuff is just stuff. It's the love of stuff that ruins people. Read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. This is what Paul said about this. He said, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You know, the Apostle Paul is letting us know that, that, that money ruins us. It's, it was, excuse me, it's not the love of money. It, excuse me, it's not money that ruins us. I'm double talking here. It's the love of money that, that ruins us. And for some, 
we just love money so much because money is the vehicle that we use to buy that thing that we want so bad. And then we want more and more and more stuff. Because we think, this is what we think, that life does consist with the abundance of stuff. And that's why Jesus said, guard your heart. Guard your heart 24-7, 365. Read what the Old Testament said about this. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. It says, keep your heart. Or I'll say this, guard your heart, right? Guard your heart with all vigilance, For from it flows the spring of life. You have to guard your heart. again. I have to guard my heart about this. We have to put a little soldier on duty 24-7, 365. Because if you don't, you're going to lose this battle. This issue of coveting, it has the potential to destroy you. I think maybe there's somebody here that's thinking, well, it's not that bad. So what? It's not going to affect me. No, it can and it will affect you. Because coveting, it leads to buying. And then buying leads to more and more buying, which leads to hoarding, which leads to stealing because you need more stuff. But now you're in debt because you spent everything you have, and now you're a criminal because you also stole. Do you see how coveting hurts you? Some of you are saying, oh, Pastor, I've got a debt problem. No, you actually have a coveting problem. Coveting in your heart has led to debt in your bank account. That's how it works. It's a coveting problem that got you into the problem where you're at. You see, the Father has given you what the Father has given you, and, and you're spending far beyond the limits of what He's given to you, and now you're wanting more resources so you can buy more stuff that you don't need. That's coveting. That's what it is. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with having nice possessions, but Jesus says when your hope rests in them, when your identity rests in them, that's a real problem. All of a sudden, you're like, hey, I don't have money for that one thing that I really, really want. You know what? I'm, I'm going to go out and get it. I'm going to go get in debt, and I'm going to get it. Or maybe I'll just reorganize my life so I can get that thing. You know what I'll do? I'll stop giving to the church. If I stop giving to the church, then I'll have the money, and I'll get that thing, and I'll have it. Have you, can you see how coveting hurts you? That's what I want you to know. Coveting hurts you. The Father says, you shall not covet. That's what he says. Because he's a father. He's a father that knows you and he's a father that loves you and he doesn't want you to get hurt. Here's lesson number two. Not only does coveting hurt you, coveting hurts others. Did you know that? Not only we hurt ourselves when we covet, we covet other people. And usually the first people to get hurt are the ones we love the most. The ones that we're closest to. Read what James says about this. Chapter 4 verse 1. James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet. You see the word there? And you cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel and you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Can you see how James is saying here, this coveting, it hurts other people. James asks this very interesting question. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, the passions that are at war within you? 
You see, this is what your heart says. It says, you desire and you don't have. That's what your heart is saying. And that's where you say, hey, God, I really want this. And God says, no. And so what do you do next? You murder. Do you see the progression of what James is talking about here? You murder. You kill somebody. You get violent. You get angry. You're just furious because you want it and you don't have it. And so what happens next? What's the word? Murder. That's what we're talking about. Or excuse me, covet. I'm not so hung on murder in my head. You, you, you break the 10th commandment. And you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Anyone here, don't raise your hand on this one. Just keep it to yourself. Christmas time, not exactly a joyous time because you know there's going to be a fight around the Christmas table. Don't answer that one. Keep it to yourself. How many of you don't exactly look forward to Christmas because you know there's going to be a fight in the dining room at Christmas? Why in the world do we fight during the holidays? Like, hey, how's this Pastor John? No, no, it's all of us, I know. It's not just you. We set aside a day to celebrate the day that God took on human flesh and, and, and came into this world to redeem mankind. We call it Christmas, and that's the day we fight. What in the world is wrong with us, right? Does that sound stupid to anybody? Well, Pastor John shouldn't use that word in church. Well, it, it's really stupid to fight at Christmas, but that's what we do. Hey, what'd you do at Christmas time? Oh, we gathered around the table and we had a knock-down, drag-out, cat-fight around the, the Christmas table. Yay, Jesus. That's what we do. Why? Because we wanted something to go a certain way and it didn't go the way that we wanted. So then the claws come out and we attack the one. And who's the one that we attack? The one we're supposed to love the most. It's the person sitting next to us at the dinner table. That's who we're fighting with. Now, it doesn't have to be family that you're fighting with. Maybe it's somebody else. But here's my question. How about this? Again, no hands. Keep it to yourself. Who are you jealous of? Be honest in your heart. Who are you jealous of? You see, it's not only an issue of coveting. It's also an issue of jealousy. So the question for you might be, well, who are you jealous of? Maybe that person you're jealous of. Maybe it is a family member. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But ask, this, ask yourself this, how is your relationship with the person you're jealous of going? Not good, right? Do you have a good, God-glorifying relationship with the person that you're jealous of? Don't answer that one. I know the answer is no. Can you have a good, loving friendship and just be seated with jealousy of a person? The answer is no. Because this is what's going on. You're jealous of that person. If something goes good for that person, well, then it makes you jealous. And maybe sometimes we do it publicly and sometimes we do it privately. Social media is great for keeping up with friends and family and watching kids grow up. I just love that aspect of social media. But for some people, it's really a source of jealousy. They get a newer car and you don't have that newer car and it makes you mad. You're jealous. They go on vacation that you've never been on. You want to go on that vacation and it makes you jealous. They have a relationship that you don't have and you want it. And so when they get it, then that makes you mad. They get a job and you don't have a job. You really want that job and they get it. And so now you're mad because you're jealous. And did you know that sometimes there are people that will post pics on social media just to bait you into jealousy? I, I see this, and it's crazy. There are people that will go out and rent a car 
for like an hour and this car is worth like half a million dollars and they take pictures of them next to the car and in the car and driving the car and they take hundreds of pictures and, and then their social media feed is just uh, plastered with them on this, this car and it's, they're trying to make somebody jealous. We're, we're throwing rocks at each other on social media and it all has to do with the issue of the 10th commandment. It's crazy. And the Bible says concerning those that are just, just living their life, they're not trying to deceive you, the ones that aren't doing that. You know what the Bible says about that? This is what we should do. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. But what coveting does, it doesn't allow us to rejoice. It steals our ability to rejoice. Because someone gets pregnant and you want a baby, you don't have a baby. We should rejoice even if you can't have that baby, right? Someone else gets married and you're not married, you want to be married. Well, you know what we should do? You should rejoice. Even if you're not married, you want to be married. Someone else gets a new job or maybe they get a promotion at work and, and you don't have that position you want. It. You know what you should do? Rejoice. Someone gets a new home or goes on that great vacation. Rejoice. Even that's something that you've always wanted and you might never have. Rejoice. But how many of you can't even share good news with your family members because it's going to go bad if you do? Again, don't raise your hand. Keep that one to yourself. You, so what you end up doing, you don't tell them about the great things that's happening in your life because you know it's only going to make them mad. And the last thing you want to say on, on, on social media or tell them to their face is, praise God, this is going so well for me because you know if you say this is going well for me, it's not going to go well for them. Again, don't raise your hand. And for how many of you, that's the reason you're not all that excited about Christmas? Because you know at Christmas, the claws are going to come out. And there's going to, there's going to be a fight at Christmas because somebody's life is going well. And it shouldn't be like that. Instead, we should rejoice. Don't be jealous. Instead, rejoice. You know, we, sh we should be, be the ones that says, wow, that's amazing. I'm so happy for you. I'm so excited for you that God is blessing you like that. That's what we should say. Here's the third thing I want us to know. Lesson number three. Coveting hurts your relationship with God. Did you know that? Because when we have this issue with coveting in our heart, it hurts our relationship with God. Read what James says about this in chapter 1, verse 17 of his letter. He says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from where? From above, right? Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Christians are supposed to know that God is sovereign. But then what we do is we think that if there's something we want it, we don't have it. We think God's holding back on us. We, we, if, if This is what we think. We're, well, if God's really just, and if, he, if He's loving, if He's kind, and there's this thing I really, really want, if I don't have it, it's because God's holding back on me. How does, that, how does that do for your relationship with God? It hurts your relationships. Here's the point. If you're jealous of someone that they have something that you don't have, it hurts your relationship with God. If you would, think back to when you were a kid. Think back when you were a kid. It's Christmas morning, and, and you're at the tree, and you got the presents, and your dad sets a present in your lap, and all your siblings are around that tree too, and you open your gift, and you're like, wow, that's kind of cool. And you look over at your sibling, and they open their gift, and you're like, whoa, I really like that. I want that. So you get up, you walk over there, and you bonk them over the head, and you take theirs, and you make it yours. How's your relationship with dad going to go? 
belt's coming off, right? That's how it's going to go down in my house. And that's how it goes with God. So this is what I want you to know. Coveting hurts you, and coveting hurts others, and your coveting hurts God. But here's the fourth lesson. You're like, hey, we, we need cure, Pastor John. Let's stop talking. I got it. It's bad. It's horrible. But here's the fourth lesson. It's better to give than receive. Do you know that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said? He said it in the, in the book of Acts. He's quoting Jesus. He says, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than receive. You see, the problem with coveting, coveting makes us want to believe it's more blessed to receive than give. That's what coveting does, right? That's where the prosperity gospel is so very, very dangerous. Because the prosperity gospel teaches, well, blessings equals getting. That's the core base of what the prosperity gospel preach. And Jesus says, no, that's not true. The prosperity gospel teaches, if you're getting, well, that's because God loves you. And if you don't have, you know what you need to do? You make, need to make God love you. If you want to be blessed by God, we'll make God love you so that you will get. And so what that teaches you is that blessings equals getting. And this is what Jesus says about that. Jesus says, well, if you have a lot, it's because I blessed you with that. And I blessed you with that because I want you to be a blessing to somebody else. Now take what I've given to you and now go be a blessing. And, and then what's going to, Jesus says, what's going to happen is you're going to get blessed, but it's not in the ways you do think that you're going to get blessed. That's what Jesus says. True or false? The happiest moments in life came when you were giving and not getting. I think all the parents and grandparents go, oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. When I was a little tiny, tiny guy, I loved Disneyland. Oh, we only lived two hours from Disneyland. And, and I remember watching the Mickey Mouse show come on, cart on, on the TV, and I couldn't say Mickey Mouse. It was Miramauer. Miramauer, Miramauer. I'd, I'd go nuts, and I'm screaming and yelling. And then my parents would take me to Disneyland, and this is back when it really was the happiest place on earth. You know, 45 years later, it's not exactly the happiest place on earth with outrageous prices and crowds. I mean, you're packed in like sardines. It's not exactly the happiest place. But when I was a little bitty guy, my, my parents took me to Disneyland, and I got to go on the parade. I went through the ropes, and I went out on the street, and I'm dancing with, with Mickey Mouse and just having the biggest time of my life. It was awesome. You know what's better than that? Taking your kids to Disneyland. And I remember our kids were so tiny and, and going to Disneyland and they're just sprinting through and looking at everything and my eyes are lighting up. I am so happy watching my kids enjoy Disneyland for the first time. You know why? Because Jesus is right. It's better to give than it is to receive. Here's the fifth lesson I want us to know. Lesson number five, we defeat covetousness with contentment. How many of you, again, don't have to raise your hands. How many of you can agree by now, yeah, coveting is bad. Coveting is bad. Well, what we can't do, this is what we don't do. Don't say, well, coveting is bad. Don't do it. That doesn't work. That doesn't work with this sin or any other sin. What you have to do, you, in order to defeat sin, you have to replace sin. I call it replacement theology. This one's right. There's another one. It's very, very wrong. We'll get into that later. But anyways... Read what, what Paul said about this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says, not that I speak in regards to need, for I have learned that whatever state I am, to be content. I know how to be a base, and I know how to be abound, wherever and in all things, I have learned to be both full and to be hungry, to both abound and to suffer. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One of the most frequently misquoted verses in the entire Bible is that verse 13 right there. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what Paul's not talking about? Paul's not talking about scoring the winning touchdown for the team and you get to be the hero. That's not what Paul's talking about. If you don't know, I want you to know, but Paul was locked in prison when he wrote that verse. He probably wasn't getting much to eat, and based off of his, his, letter to, his second letter to Timothy, he's probably freezing to death. And he knew he's going to die, and eventually he did. Somebody grabbed him, pulled him out of that jail cell, chopped his head off. But before he lost his head, you know what he wrote? He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's three options to those words. Either Paul is wrong. He's just dead wrong. He couldn't do all things through strength. Or option number two, he's lying. Or option number three, he's right. I'm going with option three. I think he's right. You know what I believe Paul is saying? I believe Paul is saying that Jesus is better than anything. That Jesus is better than food, that Jesus is better than water, that Jesus is better than warmth, that Jesus is better than freedom. That's what he's saying. So Jesus is better. All that stuff that the world longs for, Jesus is better than any of that. That's what he's saying. And I think, you know, Paul, he honestly said, you know what, having Jesus is better than having my own life. Because he said it, and you know what, he went out and lived it. He did it. So if you want to know the real meaning of life, and by meaning, I mean the only meaning of life, it begins and ends with a personal relationship with Jesus. You can have everything in the world. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have squat. Let me give you a, just a few lessons and to kind of sum up the Ten Commandments here, these takeaways from the Ten Commandments. Here's the first one. God's a father. He's a loving father. I mean, God is an amazing father. I don't have words in my limited vocabulary to really tell you how awesome he is. And, and then he gives us the Ten Commandments, and here we are thousands of years later, and we still can't improve upon them. And these Ten Commandments, they deal with every aspect of life. Thousands of years later, they're still hitting home, right? Not just external behaviors, but the internal motivations of our hearts. That's what it deals with. And we have a Father, and He's willing to speak to us about every practical matter of life. Life in, in our hearts. And He just reveals, it just tells us how wise and loving and amazing and awesome He really is. And the second thing I want us to know is that Jesus forgives sins. He does. Jesus is incredible that, that God took on human flesh. He came into history. And he lived on this earth. He didn't break any laws, none of them, externally or internally. Jesus kept the Ten Commandments absolutely perfect. Jesus never committed adultery. Jesus never lusted after a woman. Jesus never stole anything. And yet, at the same time, he gave himself as a gift. Jesus didn't have much in the way of possessions, and yet, also, he never coveted anybody else's possessions. And there's so many people that say, well, Jesus was a good man. That statement falls woefully, woefully short of the truth. No, Jesus was and is the only perfect man. Jesus didn't just avoid the outward sin, but he also missed the inward inclinations of the heart. And as we examine God's law, I and mean, we've been doing this for two and a half months now, I hope what you realize that Jesus isn't like us. Because we, we've broken all Ten Commandments. Guilty. We stand condemned only a couple million times, and yet Jesus didn't break any of it. 
And here's the third thing I want us to walk away with, that the Holy Spirit gives us a new desire. The third member of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, he convicts us of that sin, and then he doesn't stop there. He points us in the direction of the Son. And if you want to have a new desire, if you need to respond to God, the Holy Spirit, and what he's, he's, he's pushing you to do, that gnawing in your heart as you sit and you hear the gospel and you, you, you know you're not right with God, that's God, the Holy Spirit. He's saying, go to Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's drawing us to the Savior. And really, that's what I want the whole world to know, that there's a Father in heaven. He loves us, but the truth is we've rejected him. Every single one of us, we spit in the Father's face. It's called sin. And that sin, it separates us from the Father. It does. And that Father sent His one and only Son into the earth as a rescue mission to come and pay the penalty for what sinful men and women would do. Jesus was tortured and then died on a cross. Why? Because we're sinners. But it doesn't stop there. We're not even done yet. God the Holy Spirit is sent in the earth to convict us of sin and point us in the direction of, of the Son to convince us that He's the only Savior. And if you call on Him and if you give Him your life, you will be saved. Because that's exactly what the Scripture says. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that right now. If you're sitting there with that pit in your stomach saying, I'm not right, call out to Him. Say something like, God, I'm a sinner, and yet you love me despite of my wickedness, and you sent your son to die and take your wrath for what I have done, I give you my life. Forgive me my sins, and I pray this in your holy, precious name. Amen.